It is Friday the 19th of July 2019. My name is Jeremy Midland and welcome to episode 49 of the Stock Market Movers podcast. Just a quick reminder that nothing that I say today should be considered financial advice and if you're looking for financial advice I recommend that you speak to an authorised financial advisor. So wasn't a hell of a lot that happened during the week on the NZX. Um, So what I'm going to do today is I'm going to take a couple of minutes to either, well, not sure if delight used the right word, but if you like cricket, delight you with chat about the cricket um, for a couple of minutes and then we'll get straight into some of the news from the week and there wasn't much. So we'll talk about Z Energy and we'll take the time to um, talk about some Warren Buffett questions as well because we haven't done that for a while and when it's a quiet news week, you know, it's a perfect time to do it. So we'll get straight into it. So I know this is a stock market investing podcast, but I think I'm going to have to start with the episode with a bit of a chat about the Cricket World Cup. Um, it's obviously going to go down as probably the the greatest game of one day cricket ever played, but it reminds me of a a, a quote or paraphrase from one of Richie McCaw's books when he said that lots of people said that the 1999 World Cup semi-final loss to France was one of the greatest games of rugby ever played and then he went on to say but he'd never heard an All Black say that and I guess that that's where it is for me at the moment is when you, you won't hear me say it was the greatest game ever played because I'm still gutted about the fact that New Zealand unluckily, in, in my view, lost. Um, and that that's one of those things, you know, the, the way the ball was thrown in from the boundary and it hit Stokes and ricocheted for four. I used to play cricket back in the day. Um, I was, I guess, my the, the closest player in similarity of me would be Colin de Gronholm in terms of the way he bowled. I was, I was like that, just a bit more out of shape and a little bit slower through the year and I, I couldn't bat whereas he can um, but anyway so about a few times a season the, that would happen the ball would hit the batsman and it would and it would bounce off and go somewhere and usually to a place where they could have taken a run if they'd want to and people would the batsman generally wouldn't take and take a run just because it was wasn't a done thing to do the, the thing to do in cricket is the, the if the ball hits the batsman you, you, you don't you don't take a run, although you can, as, as we saw the other day. And once in a blue moon, every now and then, a, a batsman would try to sneak a run from it, and that would usually result in a lot of sledging and abuse directed in the way of the batsman. And then we would walk off the field, and afterwards we'd be having a beer, or we'd be talking, or it'd be the lunch break or something like that, and someone would invariably say, if it hits the batsman, it should be a dead ball. And then someone would say, because one day that will happen in the World Cup final and it will go for four and it will be really important. And that day has obviously come. And that's a rule in my view that obviously it was no fault of Ben Stokes and it was within the, the rules of the game and everything like that. But that that's a rule that, that should, shouldn't should exist. It should it should be a dead bull. And it's interesting that even Stokes felt that way. You, you're reading the news that he would have, with with if it was his choice, he would have, would have withdrawn the runs and they wouldn't have counted. Um, and then, you know, there's been all sorts of rubbish come out about, oh, it should have been five runs, not six, and everything like that. And that's just absolute. Maybe technically it should have been that the umpires in the field didn't think that, the players watching didn't think that. None of my friends that play cricket thought that way. Everyone that was there thought it was six runs, and that, that's just the way it is. You can't look back at that. But the 
the thing itself, I, I think that rule should change so we should start the, <laughs> the campaign here because one day it will happen again and it will cost the same thing. Um, or the, the alternative example is what if the ball had hit Ben Stokes further down the, the pitch and ricocheted into the stumps and he was run out? Then you would say, well, Ben Stokes has run out in a way that isn't really fair. And in that situation, I think it should just be dead ball. Um, that, that's that's just my view and there might be some good counter-arguments to that but I'm I'm currently unable to to think of one and it's interesting that, that Ben Stokes said that he would have withdrawn the runs if he could because if my situation I just described actually happened so if it hit Ben Stokes, ben Stokes ricocheted onto the stumps and he was run out then Kane Williamson if he wanted to could have called Ben Stokes back so he could have said oh that's not a fair way of getting out we can call you back but it's interesting that Ben Stokes in a similar situation couldn't cancel the runs anyway so that that's that's my two cents on the matter um get it out of the way nice and early in the in the podcast even though it's not a cricket podcast I like cricket and I guess I can talk about what I want um but obviously it'll go down as the one of the greatest, if not the, the the greatest matches in history, and I'll may, maybe in a few years' time, I'll think that way as well. So maybe it was out of respect or some sort of mourning for the cricket, or maybe it was just lots of people like me didn't get much sleep. I think I was up for thirty six hours from eight am Sunday morning to eight pm Monday night because of the cricket. You know, I watched the cricket, then I went straight to work. But there was virtually nothing in the way of news on the NZX. This week, I mean, of course, it's not actually related to the cricket, but you can scroll through the NZX announcements, and you know it's a quiet week when the most interesting thing that jumps off the page is the Z Energy quarterly operating data, and you know it's been a tough news week when I'm talking about that. So Z, for those that do not know, they trade on the NZX and the ASX under the ticker code ZEL. I'm not going to explain what they do. It's one of those ones that you'll just be familiar with, and you'll intuitively understand their business um, it's also relatively easy to value and, and figure out what a good price to pay is although you could say that there are some storm clouds on the horizon in terms of electrical electric vehicles that's clearly coming as coming at some stage for the company and, and the speculation as to you know when that happens or how to what extent it happens or, or everything like that so you know obviously building it into your Valuation or how you think about the company is, is I guess, the part that's open to interpretation. Uh, but certainly in terms of what they do now, it's really easy to understand. So <clears throat> I think the ZNG quarterly reports are actually something that you might... are quite interesting because you have a squiz at them and you get an idea as to how the economy is going. It's not necessarily something where you base your entire economic view off, but it is a data point. And so Z total fuel prices were 976 ml, I assume that's millions of litres, compared to 908 millions ml the previous year, so it's pretty flat. Retail petrol consumption, I assume by retail they mean regular cars at the pump as opposed to commercial vehicles, was up 4 ml to 287 ml. It's interesting that when that it's when you talk about electric vehicles, the it it, it is interesting that that number is higher. Um, and even though there's a lot more electric vehicles on the road than it was what it was before, the company did use the term industry volume decline though. So that that's interesting. In- industry volume decline suggests that there is something happening on, in the wider industry. So basically, you could expect big advances in fuel consumption to be indicative of when the economy is growing and vice versa. And in terms of pet- 
petrol prices at the pump that is there was no real trend at the moment there's been some ups and downs along the way but we're about the same as we were at the start of 2018 and the company noted that the percentage of fuel sold on discount decreased during the year as the barrel of price of crude moved down through may and june so hopefully that will so the percentage of discounting they have to do that is so because the i guess they had more margin there the company chucked in some guidance for the financial year 2020 as well they're expecting ebitda f to be in the range of 450 to 490 million and a dividend between 48 and 54 cents per share so call it 50 cents and you have a dividend yield of nearly eight percent which is not to be sniffed at especially when you add some imputation credits on top of that before we finish i find it difficult to imagine a world without gas stations and I'm not sure if this is just because I've grown up with petrol stations just being a thing. I mean, you you grew up and they're just a fact. And they were a big thing as well. My parents always seemed to be going to the petrol station or in petrol stations would always come up in conversations and everything like that. And when you think about it, it's something that's still the case. And I'll probably mention it at least once a week in conversation. You probably figured out how often I fill up my car now. <laughs> so yeah, I find it difficult to imagine a world without them. And I, I can't really, perhaps there will be less in the future, or depends on the proliferation of electric vehicles, and it is starting to happen, I remember when I, I it was only a few years ago when I first saw the a Tesla vehicle in Auckland, and then I started seeing one about once a week, and now I probably see them most days, and that's along with all the competition, like the Leaf and everything else that's sprung up, so it, it's definitely been more electric vehicles, so it'll be interesting to see what happens there, and, and how much that impacts Zed's business. And imagine if one day there was no petrol stations and because they're often in similar places, it'll be interesting to see what gets done with the land. And I know it'll be different use cases for different locations and everything like that, but it would be interesting. I wonder if it'll be like when you go, when you, you know, you go past like an old pizza hut and you go to your friends, oh, that used to be a pizza hut. You might go, well, that used to be a petrol station. Anyway, I'm rambling a bit, but it would be interesting to see the extent of the penetration and the speed of the penetration of electric vehicles and then the impact that will have on Z Energy's business. Just because it's a decreasing market doesn't necessarily mean that it's it's bad for business because as you've already seen with Z buying Caltex, I think they did, you'll probably see that the big company will get more and more market share. So even though the markets, the overall industry might be shrinking, their market share might be increasing. I guess a similar example of this would be with the cigarette companies where the overall market is shrinking but the big players do get bigger at the same time or perhaps Coca-Cola where soft drink consumption might be decreasing on a global level but the there's you know two main players in soft drinks and their market share increases so that that it doesn't necessarily mean that it's it's bad for the company itself i mean you can't imagine too much more in the way of competition in the in terms of different operators coming into the country, or we have seen go in the last few years. And then it'll be interesting to see what the company's response to this is. Will they go, okay, now we're going to innovate and we're going to change what we do, provide different types of services, or maybe we're just going to provide services to electric vehicles. And it'll be interesting to see what the market is for this, or, or will they go, okay, we know the writing's on the wall here, and we're just going to try to increase our market share as much as possible and pay out as much as we can to shareholders in the meantime. And you might think that there's something wrong with this approach, that you should always be innovating, but that's not necessarily the case. It's sort of like having a gold mine and just mining until the gold runs out. And you, as owners of the company, can still do very well there. I guess it all comes back to valuation and how much you pay and what a good and fair price is and 
and what's not and I guess I'll leave you to figure that figure out the numbers for yourself. So obviously been a quiet news week it's probably a good time to check out a couple more questions from Berkshire Hathaway or Warren Buffett or whatever and you might remember some earlier episodes where we talked about some questions that Buffett was asked at the 2019 AGM so I think every time we have a bit of a quiet time like this in the markets it might be a, a good time for us to go back and, and look at some of the stuff that Warren Buffett has said in the past because I've said it before and I'll, I'll say it again you'd be better off tuning into some of Warren Buffett interviews and listening to the podcast because he's actually a you know, there's, there's nothing better than you, and it's like a, a, a university education, uh, better than university education, actually. Um, so I'll go back to an older meeting. I won't do the 2019 one. I think it might have been 1997. I think some of these older ones, I've said it before, are some of the best meetings. And you can get all the meetings going back to 1994 on, on YouTube, by the way. Um, and, you know, like, like I said, if you watch all those meetings from 1994 to 2019, it's probably better than university education. In, in all honesty, although maybe it's not something you can put on your CV. Um, so the clip I'm talking about, I'll, I'll post it on Facebook and, and Twitter later. Um, but it's one of my favourite ones. It's about 14 minutes long. Basically, Warren and Charlie get asked a question about how to estimate intrinsic or business value. Basically, they get asked what tools they use and how they estimate value. So they go off on a bit of a tangent on the on the clip and they talk about opportunity cost and, and everything like that. But what I'll focus on and what I'm talking about now is what Warren Buffett specifically said about what what he uses to to calculate value. What I'm going to do here is pretty much read word for word what he said. There's some of the ums and ahs and things like that I missed out and I might insert my own. But he goes, if we could see, looking at any business, what its future cash, infl- what its future cash inflows or outflows from the business to the owners would be over the next 100 years or until the business is extinct and then could discount it back at an ap- to an appropriate interest rate, then that would give us a number for intrinsic value. In other words, it would be like looking at a bond that had a whole bunch of coupons on it that was due in 100 years, and if you could see what those coupons are, you could figure out the value of the bond. Businesses have coupons that are going to develop in the, in the future too. The only problem is that they're not printed on the instrument, and it is up to the investor to try and estimate what those coupons are going to be over time. As we have said in high-tech businesses or something like that, we don't have the faintest idea of what those coupons are going to be. When we get into businesses where we think we can understand them reasonably well, we are trying to print the coupons out. We are trying to figure out what the businesses are going to be worth in 10 or 20 years. And I'm missing some stuff out here, but he goes, if you attempt to assess intrinsic value, it all relates to cash flow. The only reason you're putting cash into any type of investment is because you expect to take cash out. Not by selling it to somebody else, because that is just a game of who beats who, but in a sense, by what the asset itself produces. That is true if you're buying a farm, and it is true if you're buying a business. He goes on to say that basically that to, to filter out, to get down to businesses that he's looking at, he basically starts with what he can understand, and he defines what he can understand is not understanding it academically. Of course, Warren Buffett can look at a, a tech company and understand it academically in the same way that me and you can study for a test and, and passed it and pass it but what he means by understanding and, and people get confused they go oh Warren Buffett he doesn't understand tech of course he understands tech businesses but what he means by understanding and his definition of understanding is being able to understand what the cash flows are going to be in, 20, in 10 or 20 years time so having a reasonable degree of certainty about what a business is going to produce in 10 or 20 years time that's his definition of understanding 
He continues, this is what the game of investment is all about. Investment is about putting out money now to get more money back later on from the asset, not by selling it to someone else, but by what the asset itself will produce. If you are an investor, you are looking at what the asset is going to do, in our case, businesses. If you're a speculator, you're primarily focusing on the price of what the object is going to do, independent of the business. That is not our game. If we are right about the business, we'll make a lot of money. If we are wrong about the business, we do not expect to make money. So, you know, it's just a, like anything, he puts everything so sim- in such a simple way. Let's use Z Energy as an example. Um, and I'll simplify it just for hypothetical purposes. Let's imagine for the purposes of this exercise that in 10 years' time, electric cars would have taken over and there'll be no more petrol stations. That's not my view, by the way, but let's assume just for the purposes of the imagination of this invest- investigation of what we're doing now. So let's take the EBITDA ref guidance that they gave earlier in the year of $450 million. Let's assume that is free cash flow. It's it's not instantly, but let's just use that for now. Let's assume that they're going to average four hundred and fifty million over the next ten years. So in ten years, that will be a total of four point five billion of cash generated by the business. And the actually the equation sort of assumes that they spend the cash wisely in the form of dividends or other investments as well. So let's assume that they they don't blow cash on terrible bets at the casino or whatever, and they we just assume that that cash flows back to shareholders. So what would you pay today for $4.5 billion delivered to you in even installments over the next 10 years? Would you pay $10 billion? Obviously not, because why would you pay $10 billion for something that could, could only possibly produce $4.5 billion? It would just be not... It would just be insane. Um, and if you knew it was going to produce $4.5 billion and you paid $10 billion for it now, then it would be extra insane. 10 years is not the number necessarily the num- number to use. I mean, it could be if you knew the business was only going to be around for 10 years, but you have to sort of just decide on that for yourself. And, you know, that's essentially what I was warning people about with the marijuana companies in the United States, like Tilray, for example, last year, that had like valuations of like 13 billion US dollars or something like that. And if you're buying and holding that company, then you are making the assumption that it would make that much at some point in the future in cash, which is a tall order for a company that's that has revenues of only $43 million. And you might be saying to me, oh, hold on, I made money off buying Tilray stock. And of course, that doesn't mean you couldn't make money money off it. If, if somebody else was crazy enough to buy it off you for, as an investment, you know, and then you sold it to someone else for more, yes, you, yes you've made money. Um, but, you know, obviously, if you look at the stock performance of Tilray since that time, the market has realised that. Or like Bitcoin, for example, Bitcoin's never going to produce any cash, so you have to wonder why people are buying off you. But that's a discussion for another day. Anyway, back to Zed Energy. So you wouldn't pay $10 billion in our hypothetical example. Would you pay $4.5 billion? No, and again, you wouldn't. Why? Because giving out $4.5 billion now to get $4.5 billion back over 10 years would be insane. You'd be better off with your money in the bank. Even at a half a percent interest rate, you'd be better off. Now, Zed's market cap is currently around $2.5 billion. Would you pay $2.5 billion to get $4.5 billion over 10 years? Now, you might start thinking about that. That that suddenly, suddenly starts becoming attractive, and it would depend on how attractive the other opportunities opportunities are as well and that goes back to what if you watch the video on youtube later that i post it goes back to what charlie munger was talking about in terms of opportunity cost and if you can make 10 percent risk-free in the bank you probably wouldn't because you know why would you take a risk on a, on a company that you know has all the the risks of 
investment when you could make 10, 10% risk-free in a bank. At the other extreme, let's say you could buy Energy for $100 million today, knowing that it would make $4.5 billion in 10 years. Would you pay it? And the, the answer is most obviously yes. I mean, of course, in the real world, it's not that simple. RZ's cash flow is going to be higher or lower in the future. What's going to happen next year? What's going to happen in the year after? You know, it, it's not that straightforward. You know, what's going to happen to petrol prices, crude oil, everything like that. Um but actually, ironically, Z is probably an, an easier company to, to figure out than most. Um, it, it's, it's not, you know, there's, there's harder companies to figure out is what I'm trying to say. Um, and this is what Warren Buffett meant by working with companies that you can predict the future on. You know, if, if you can predict the future on, I'll, I'll be able to predict the future to a reasonable degree of accuracy on some companies and not others, and you'll be able to do on some, and I won't be able to do on others. So that's that's what it, it's, I always recommend working with companies that you intrinsically understand anyway, or intuitively understand is probably a better word. Companies that already make sense to you anyway um, doesn't mean that you have to buy them. Um, you know, I I might intrinsically understand Z Energy, for example, but doesn't necessarily mean I'm I'm buying the stock. Doesn't. So if that makes sense. Now, the academically correct way of doing this is to do a discounted cash flow where you discount the estimated future cash flows back to the present value at an appropriate interest rate. But I always think that if you have to do that sort of thing to the most finite decimal place, then you're probably cutting things a bit too fine. I think oftentimes with, with this sort of thing, it 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 should be obvious, and if it's so, if it's not obvious enough that you have to really break it down to the finest detail, then you're probably not building. And maybe this is a conversation for another day, but you you're not building enough margin or margin of safety into into what you're doing. And an an example of this for hypothetically is in the in the Z Energy example, if you knew it was going to produce four point five billion over the next ten years. You know, maybe buying it at two and a half billion today would give you a satisfactory return, but you'd feel more comfortable buying it at a billion because that builds in more risk of, say, if Z only produces two and a half billion over the next ten years, and if you buy it for a billion, it's going to be a at least you're going to still get a satisfactory result. Now, of course, <sighs> don't go running out buying Z Energy because Jeremy said on the podcast that it's going to produce four and a half billion over the next ten years. I have no idea what it's going to produce, and I think Z Energy probably has a, a longer life than ten years, even in the worst case scenario. So, all the numbers I've just mentioned now are purely for illustrating a, a point about estimating value on the podcast that's all right many thanks again for listening to the podcast that's about all we have time for today is a reminder that nothing that i see today should be considered financial advice if you're looking to find out more about the podcast go to www.stockmarketmovers.co.nz or find us and give us a like by searching on facebook follow us on twitter as well and make sure to share it with your friends if you want to email me it is jeremy at stockmarketmovers.co.nz Once again, my name is Jeremy Medlin and this has been episode 49 of the Stock Market Movers podcast for Friday the 19th of July 2019. We'll see you all again next week for episode 50.